And he's graciously given us faith so that we can get to know him. And he lets us approach him, but only with a heart of humility. A heart of humility. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3, we're going to read from verse number 4 to verse number 6. Exodus chapter number 3, from verse 4 to verse 6. As you were hearing in that song, there were many titles of God that you were hearing. But one of the titles of God was revealed in this chapter, in this uh, portion of Scripture, where God tells Moses his name so that he could say that name to Israel. Now, if you're in chapter 3, verse number 4 to verse number 6 of Exodus... It says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. In these last few days, in these last few months, I should say, I've started to grow more and more fond of this man, Moses. Moses was a man I have come to admire more and more because of his life. And because of many certain things that have been taking place, especially in the last few months in my life. And as you read the first section of your Bible from Exodus to Deuteronomy, the character of Moses, I'm talking about his personality, goes through a lot of change. Moses was a man that was very highly respected, just looking at his life through Exodus to Deuteronomy. We know that even after he passes away, He's a very significant character that's brought about many other times throughout your Bible. So the character of Moses goes through a bunch of change. He's a highly respected man. And in fact, even after he passes away in the New Testament, when they're trying to refer to the law, they just call it Moses. That's how respected the man was. And not only that, just throughout the New Testament, Moses and the words he wrote from Genesis to Deuteronomy are quoted at least 50 times. So this is an important Bible character that we're talking about here. And he's a Bible character who experienced God. Experiencing God. That's the title of this message. We often hear about how people met God. But what about experiencing God? Sometimes it's foreign. Now in Exodus 33, verse 11, it speaks of how God talked with Moses face to face. Face to face. 
And it even goes as far as saying, God talked with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now, you look to your left, you look to your right, perhaps that's a friend. And can you talk to them as if you would talk to God or vice versa? A friend is someone you value, not because of the type of family they come from or for what they have or for the type of class they're from or the amount of money they make. A friend is that person you care about deeply simply for who they are. And here, from a third-person perspective, when we look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, Jehovah is speaking to Moses face-to-face as if he was a friend. Wouldn't it be nice if we could talk to God as a friend? As if he was sitting right beside us right now, and we'd be able to tell everything we need to talk to him about? Sometimes it seems like such a foreign thing to us because as human beings, we even find it sometimes, oh, this person talked to God this morning as if it was their friend. And we think, oh, that guy's weird. Oh, that, that's kind of foreign. What? But there were steps in Moses' life to get to that point, and I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know how experienced you are in the Christian life. And you may be a Bible college student, or you may be just now becoming a student of the Bible. I don't know where you're at, but I think every single person needs to learn how to experience God in order to grow, especially, their prayer life, in order for them to be able to talk to God as a friend. So before we dive into this and learn from Moses, Staying here in Exodus chapter 3, let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I understand that this sermon cannot be preached without uh, I myself having not gone through it. And Lord, I pray, Father, that right now that um, the emotions, the high emotions I'm feeling right now, that uh, you would abase them, and Lord, that uh, you would speak through me. And Holy Spirit, that you would get a hold of people's hearts. And I pray, Father, that um, that this uh, this message would come through to people, and it would be uh, easy to understand. But also, Lord, that after we've heard this message, that we'd be able to experience you better than we've ever done before. And Lord, perhaps this this message is a very elementary message, one that's so fundamental and so basic. But Lord, I pray, Father, that it would also still be at least a great reminder. I pray, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit would be upon us as we, uh, as we hear and as I preach, Lord, and I speak through me. I thank you and praise you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, number one, Moses was given faith. That's point number one. Point number one, in order to experience God, you have to have faith. God gives us faith. Now, you're in Exodus chapter number three. Look at verse number four. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, 
Moses, Moses. And he, and he said, here am I. So God called out to Moses, and Moses responded to God's call. Moses was there at, the, at first. He was minding his own business. He was taking care of his sheep, as, do, as does a good shepherd. The job of a shepherd, by the way, was to take care of the sheep. And often shepherds are depicted, I don't know how you've seen the illustrations of a shepherd, but they're often seen relaxing, you know, by underneath like some kind of bush or some kind of a tree. But to tell you the truth, uh, the job of a shepherd is incredibly intensive. It's very labor intensive. And we often take it for granted, but they, it, look, it requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of labor. The shepherd would watch his sheep, making sure they stayed within viewing distance. The shepherd would make sure that they are eating, that they're drinking. And if they're not drinking or eating, he would try to find out why not. A shepherd would make sure that if there was a pregnant sheep, to help that sheep to bring forth the lamb. The shepherd would help to make sure that there is all, these, all his sheep are taken care of and are sheared off. Because if you don't shear your sheep, your sheep can die from heat exhaustion. The shepherds would make sure to fight off any type of predators that are out there. Sometimes the shepherds will even try to make sure to guide their flock through the proper and cooler pastures. They would try to make sure that they would get enough drink. Sometimes shepherds would even try to have sheepdogs with them if the job was getting too much, if the flock was getting too big. And the sheepdogs would help them to care for these flocks as well. The shepherd's job in just 12 hours, I would say, within 12 hours is a lot of work. There's a lot of things going around uh, that they have to take care of. So Moses, he wasn't just relaxing near the bush. He was really doing a job here. And that bush caught fire, right? But it didn't burn. Moses was intrigued. And then the words of God came out. Moses, Moses. An important part of the beginning of our Christian life is to understand that God begins our Christian life. This is interesting because oftentimes we think that we chose to follow God. But the Bible is clear. We love Him because He first loved us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though we are far away from God and perhaps we do good here and there, God is still the one that comes to us first. God initiates everything, even when we first enter the world. We enter the world and we're formed by different factors in unique ways. We often have different types of personalities between each other. We have different personalities. And then we have different identities. And they're completely unique to us. But then one day, somehow, God spoke to us through his word. Somehow, just like in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the Word of God. God gave us the Word of God. The Word of God started to speak to us. And somehow, in some way, we started to believe what God was saying in His Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. We see that faith was given by God. It wasn't of ourselves. So, take a look here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Keep your finger in Exodus chapter 3. But 1 Thessalonians... Chapter 2 and verse 13. This is Paul talking to the Thessalonians on how they took in God's word. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 2 Timothy 3.16, many of us have heard it, but look at it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We have Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified Seven times. God's word is what produces faith and changes lives. It's not the words of men. I was having this conversation with someone, and uh, it was at a different church building. Don't worry, I'm not switching churches or anything. I was talking with this person at a different church building, and uh, it was a staff member. And I got to talking with them, and I asked, eventually asked them, so how did you get saved? I really wanted to know, how did you get saved? And this person was very careful to not use the word saved. And that, to me, right off the bat, was kind of like a red flag. Because why are you, you know, beating around the bush? Why aren't you saying, this is when I got saved? So he went on about his story of how he got there and everything. He talked about how he came from a very rough past. He He came from... Uh, all the way from like Florida or something. And then he was talking about how he came from a very rough background. His parents had left and everything. And then he had left, the, uh, left his uh, home. And then he ended up coming here. And then all these different things. And one day, he said, he was hanging out with his friends. They were camping. And they got high. And then, while he was high, he heard the Lord saying, when... When is it that you're about, uh, when you're going to commit to me? And so that's when he decided, you know what? I'm going to commit to the Lord. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I was like, okay, go on. And then he kept talking about his ministries that he was part of. And he talked about how in these ministries, now he's helping people just like him who are struggling with drug addiction, with alcohol addiction, to come out of that life. So they gather in this building and they talk about this, these things and he just kept pushing this idea of him saying, I just love on them. I just help them. Love on them. And I was like, 
What does that mean? So I kept talking and talking and talking, but nowhere did I hear how God's Word plays a role in all of this, in His conversion or how He helps people. And I was wondering to myself, it's not the Word of men that make a difference in a person's life. It's the Word of God. Faith comes from the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7 to 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our Lord, of our God, shall stand forever. There are many great men that have come around. They've said some great things but their words die along with them. But God's word remains. This is important to us to understand because it's the first step to understanding how is it that Moses got to experience God in the first place? How is it that he was able to talk to God face to face as if he was a friend? And this is important because we need to learn about who God really is. And the only way to do that is through God's word, by faith. So, that's number one. Then we get to number two. And number two is humility. In order to be friends with God, we must humble ourselves. So, let's turn back to Exodus chapter number three. Exodus chapter number three. And take a look here at verse number five. Verse number 5, it says, And he said, this is God speaking, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Holy ground. Now I'm sure a majority of you may know that there is something you must do before you enter an Asian person's house. Remove your shoes. All right? I did a little bit more digging into this. Why? It's a custom to remove your shoes at the door. I was taught this also at a younger age. Now, if you don't know my history, I come from a Buddhist and a Hindu family. On both sides, we did this, okay? But I was taught at a young age, you remove your shoes at the door. No, it doesn't matter whose house you're going into, you remove them at the door, okay? But this is also a practice I found out all over Asia and all over the Mediterranean, okay? So I kept looking more and more into it, and I realized, hey, this is actually practiced in a lot of parts of the world, it's also practiced here in Canada, right? Uh, so, what is the main reason? Well, it turns out a lot of people say uh, it's cleanliness, right? It's kind of obvious. You're not bringing dirt into the house. Cleanliness. But also respect. And that was an intriguing one. So, in this case, Moses, he was outside. And he was removing his shoes outside, only to stay 
outside. So it's not cleanliness, right? So we see that it's to help Moses understand that he was now on holy ground. Holy ground. Holy ground meaning it is ground that had been dedicated and set apart for God. Now this sounds a little bit ridiculous to us today, to us modern folks, but it's important also to consider the culture from which Moses came from. Where did Moses grow up in? Any takers? Egypt. Yeah, Egypt. Egyptian culture, in Egyptian culture, people would remove their shoes before entering the temple to worship their gods. And Moses, I'm sure, knew about this because he grew up amongst the royalty of Egypt. Jehovah isn't a god like the gods of Egypt. But Moses was clearly seeing that God is the divine. And God is now wanting to talk with Moses. This ground that God is entering into has become holy. This whole scene is symbolic, showing to Moses that there is a purity, there is a reverence. The fire showed that any impurities was being cleansed. Fire, even to this day, is how we purify things. Fire is the rawest form of purification. So was the area where Moses was by the burning bush. Moses removing his shoes was as if the dirt that he would usually separate with his shoes was to be kept away from God, away from the holy place. God said to not approach the bush either because Moses was not clean, nor was he holy. And this, altogether, creates a humbling experience. It's humility is what it's starting to build in Moses. The fire, the shoes, the distance. And Moses couldn't look. In fact, in verse, at the end of verse 6, it says, For he was afraid to look upon God. Pastor White, he shared, with, uh, he shared this with me, that before he enters his prayer closet, he always removes his footwear because he is now entering holy ground. In every person's life that tries to approach God, we cannot approach God with pride in our life. Pride is where we overestimate ourselves. Pride is where we overestimate ourselves when in reality we're no better than the next person. And how would we know if we have pride? Here are six questions to ask ourselves. Do we find fault in others more than ourselves? Do we use sarcasm and try to tear others down when we speak to them? Do we care more about how we appear? Do we have an attitude of, I don't have to worry, God will forgive me for this, where there's no reference when it comes to prayer, essentially where we're treating God like a genie? Do we like the attention we get or do we have fantasies of how we could look good even if it's subtle or low-key? Or how about we just have a high look or a high view of ourselves? 
And let's be honest, we've probably all known someone who fits these. We've probably all known someone, and often that person didn't even know they were being prideful. Pride is just something that is so subtle, and it works in you. And to my shame, I struggle with pride a lot. There are so many times where I start to fantasize about what I would have said to someone because they did me dirty or something like that. And I try to think of, oh, this verbal checkmate, I can really get him now. But pride starts to work its way and it starts to leave its little seedlings and it starts to grow. And eventually, you don't even see it growing. It becomes almost a part of your identity. Pride is a very difficult thing. And the thing is, God would not hear me. If I were to have prayed to God with that kind of attitude, God's not going to listen. Why would I? Why would he want to? I would need to repent of that. I would have to go to that person that, and I have to repent to them. And I have to repent to God as well. The word proud comes up six times in the New Testament. And God condemns every single time and he resists those who are proud. In Psalm 138, verse number 6, shown up there, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Psalm 101, verse 5, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6, if you would turn there, Proverbs chapter number 6. Proverbs chapter number 6 and verse number 16. It says here, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And here we go. This is how the list starts. Number one, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It, so to God, it seems, especially from this list, that a proud look is worse than hands that shed innocent blood. See, I think in any friendship, if there is someone that, ha- that is proud, it is extremely difficult to deal with them. Because somehow, for some weird reason, the proud person thinks they're always right. So, the same applies with God and us. He will not stand for us to lift ourselves up above what we really are. We're sinners. We're sinners. Like Paul, I would say I'm part of the group That's of the chiefest of sinners. Like John the Baptist, we need to always remember, he must increase and I must decrease. James chapter 4 and verse 6, let's turn there. James 4 and verse 6. It says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, 
God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We come before a holy God, and he's graciously given us faith so that we can get to know him. And he lets us approach him, but only with a heart of humility. A heart of humility. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then we get to number three. Number three. This is where we finally get to experience God. After we've heard and read the word of God, after we've gotten faith, and after having humbled ourselves, then we can get to know the God of promises. Now, if you're back here in Exodus chapter number 3, Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Experiencing God's promises is actually experiencing God. God makes many promises. And the reason he spoke of Isaac in this verse, the reason he spoke of Abraham, the reason he spoke of Jacob, was to remind Moses that this was the same God that made those promises back then, who's still going to keep it today. In that conversation that God had with Moses, Moses didn't need to bring out Israel out of Egypt on his own. God was going to help him. God was going to help Moses. All Moses had to do was obey and trust God. Just obey and trust God. And the thing is, this is the same with us. Just in the New Testament alone, there are over 3,000 promises that God makes. Some of them, amongst many, nothing is too hard for God. God is the judge of everything. God will never judge the earth with water ever again. God has promised to forgive you if you confess your sins. God will provide for all your needs. Many of us know John 3.16. There are at least four promises within John 3.16 alone. And when it comes to befriending God, he makes this promise. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Moses, you are not alone. I'm going to be with you all the way. When struggles come, you may be tempted to think that God doesn't love you or care about you. But the truth is, that he doesn't think evil toward us. He thinks of peace. Just in the sermon this morning, we heard about how much God loves us and how it's unconditional. He wants us to have an expected end. That end goal, by the way, 
is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where it says, the end goal is to make us like Jesus Christ. Moses was very similar to Jesus Christ. Humanly speaking, of course. Let's take a look here. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. I'm getting close to my conclusion. Exodus 34, verse 29 to 30. It says here, And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. This is a similar thing that had taken place even to Jesus when he was transfigured on the mount. Moses became very similar to Christ at this moment. Moses kept a good relationship with God. They spoke to each other as friends. So let me conclude. These were some of the quick steps that Moses took that we can take to our prayer closets. First, read and hear from God's word. Read and hear from God's word. Then second, humble ourselves before God getting rid of any thought of pride. And then third, to start seeing God's promises and asking God for those promises. Seeing how mightily God will move in our lives. God takes care of his friends. And I'm so happy to say that. And you and I can become closer and closer friends every single day with God. A few weeks the few weeks that led toward me, the time when I was able to bring my wife back from the Philippines, they were some of the most stressful weeks I've ever faced. And to be honest, the, the fact that I'm here today and I can say certain things is to the glory of God. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that I haven't told a lot of people. I think if I took matters into my own hands, it would have been a real mess. Back in January, my wife got her visa to come to Canada. Many noticed this because I didn't make a huge announcement, but I removed it off the prayer list very subtly. She got her visa to come to Canada. I was very happy. She was very happy. We celebrated. I got her some Jollibee and everything, and it was great. Okay, and we were figuring things out now because I wanted to get, here as, get her here as soon as possible, right? This is all we do in the name of love, right? We do everything we can. So I was trying to figure things out, and then I brought it up to the staff, and then Pastor Silver said, oh, bro, uh, just, just uh, before you celebrate, you got to make sure there's something she has to do. She has to go to a seminar, and she has to fill this out. It's called the CFO, you got to get that, otherwise the Filipino immigration will not let her leave the country. Okay, I thought, okay, well, uh, let me figure this out. So I ended up uh, texting her. I said, Pastor Silver said, this is very important. You have to get this done. And uh, the sooner you get it done, we can come, and I can probably get you here in like three weeks. And she's like, okay, okay. 
She looks into it, and they had a bunch of different types of requirements. In these requirements, one of the things was to send in a picture of my passport or her passport and proof of marriage. We had that. And then other types of papers like uh, the proof that her visa was in fact approved. So I send it in and I'm very busy because I was also trying to figure out the things like I was starting to move to a new, uh, to a new basement and everything. I was moving out of my parents' parents' home, so I'm trying to figure all those things out, and also there was the preacher's delight, so I was like, okay, preacher's delight, and then I'm going to go see my wife, this is going to be great. Here's what I didn't know. <laughs> this is where it gets good to know. As it turns out, while I was enjoying preacher's delight, she had apparently gotten a denial from the Filipino government that she was not allowed to leave the country. Now, I didn't know this. Well, how does the story end? So, as I was looking through the papers, she told me, I, I need to give you some context first, okay? In the Philippines, when you get married, the person who officiates the wedding has to send in the papers at least within that month, okay? They had done diligently to make sure those papers got into the government. What they didn't check was when was I born. My birthday was wrong by two years. And I was wondering, why is that a problem? Well, it didn't match with my passport. It didn't match with my marriage certificate. So everything was in shambles. Canadian government said yes to her. Filipino government now says no to her. And I'm thinking, we've gone through this many hoops. We've waited this much. And this is what's stopping us? Two years? And... Okay, this was the moment where I started telling Pastor Silver, this is happening and this is happening. I don't know what to do. I started making calls to people and I didn't know what to do. And there are days where I had to come to work and I don't feel like talking to anyone because this is heavy on my heart now. The whole time I'm thinking, this is, why? Why is this happening? We were supposed to get married two years ago, three years ago now. And then this happens. We waited this long and I have to spend this much on COVID bills and things like that. We finally get married and I can't bring her here now. And I'm starting to wonder. And in my flesh, I was even starting to make a scheme of how I would try to smuggle her out of the country. I was thinking, okay, well, we can go to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong, they're not going to ask questions. I can just bring her through Hong Kong. And, you know, it was a tourism. Uh, yeah. I was thinking all of these different things in my flesh. And I was starting to really wonder, what is going on? When people, when I would get home, I wasn't able to talk with people in a normal way. My countenance was off. I couldn't talk to anyone in a normal way. When I got home, I just wanted to scream. I just wanted to cry. Because this whole thing was happening and I felt like there is nothing that can help me. No amount of money can get her out of this. 
Eventually, she was able to email the, the person who had looked into our papers, and they said, there is one way to overturn this. You have to file a report, but in order to file this report, it's going to take six to eight months to make the change on your marriage certificate. And I'm thinking, six to eight months? That means you're going to be here in September? This is where I started to break down. This is where I started to cry. And I started to cry to God. God, only you can do something. I started praying. All these things I schemed about to try and do in the name of love. But the true love, true love always does things God's way. This broke me. I started to read my Bible, and I was starting to be reminded of certain promises of God. Promises like in Psalm 119, verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Proverbs 18.22 Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And I needed favor of the Lord. So I started to pray. And the Lord started to prompt me about something. Ask for that email. And I asked. I asked, I need that email of that counselor who dealt with our papers. And I wrote them our whole love story. Two whole pages of how we met and why we fell in love. And I just left it in the Lord's hands. After that, I just had peace that God would come through for us. I was willing to take whatever answer God gave, whether it's going to be eight months, whether it's going to be another more years, who knows. But I was willing to say, all right, Lord, nothing gets past you. You're in full control. Well, the long story short, she's here. (laughs) And the Lord came through for us. I didn't go into much detail. That's a different sermon. But finally, I was able to get to the Philippines, and I was able to bring my wife. And the Lord kept his promise. And I got to learn how I could talk to God as a friend talks with a friend. I got to experience God. And she was able to be with, with me in time for our first anniversary. Glory to God. But I wonder, I wondered also, if I had not prayed, if I had never asked God, if I I had never learned to humble myself before God, would I have seen that promise fulfilled in my life? There is power in prayer. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. There was so much more God did in this story. And I didn't go into too much more detail. But my prayer today in this sermon is that we would all grow in our prayer life. To be able to ask God for things when we need them. And to be able to talk with God with a relationship 
as if he was a friend right beside you that you can talk to face to face. That's the best experience that you could have with God. Often talking to our human friends is pretty easy. And we like to talk with them. We enjoy their company. We enjoy who they are. The same could be said about Jesus Christ. The same could be said about our talk with God every day. A good prayer life allows for people to be able to talk as if it was friend to friend. So I hope one day that I could also ask you, how did God come through for you? In a difficult time especially. When you had a trial or a test, how did your friendship with the Lord bring you through it? God is not far away. He's near. And it's all that matters. Us growing in our prayer life. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.